giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel, and with me today is Alex Friedman, co-founder of Lola. Alex, thank you for joining me. Obviously, you know, I know about Lola, <laughs> but the listeners uh, don't necessarily. So I'd love to hear, how did you get started with Lola? We got started in 2014 when we realized we didn't know what was in the products we had been using for our whole lives. So originally, the idea for Lola was a subscription business and an idea to rebrand feminine care brands in the U.S. and try and create something that women related to that was delivered directly to their door every month. But as we started doing research into what tampons we could possibly sell in a subscription service and a new brand, we realized we couldn't figure out what was in tampons. And the more we researched that, we came to understand that there isn't regulation that requires tampon brands to list comprehensive ingredients on the box. So Lola really was born at that moment as a brand that would provide ingredients transparency for women in tampons. So that's interesting. I didn't realize that you didn't set out to manufacture new tampons. No, we set out to get women convenience and better pump and learned the industry problem along the way. So uh, I imagine, I, I don't know, has manufacturing been difficult, design and manufacturing? So I wouldn't say it's been difficult. Finding excellent suppliers with really great sourcing abilities has been something that we work very hard on. And right now we have excellent relationships with suppliers all over Europe. So is all Lola stuff made in Europe? All Lola products are not made in Europe. Oh, okay. Our core products, the tampons, pads, and liners are all made in Europe. And we recently launched a new line of products called Sex by Lola, which is condoms, lubricant, and wipes. And those are not all made in Europe. Congratulations on that launch. Thank you. So how long were the tampons and pads on the market? So the core business, tampons, pads, and liners, have been on the market Basically, since we launched in July of 2015, we launched with tampons only and introduced mm -hmm. pads and liners a year later. And have you known all along that you plan on doing sex products too? No. So we listened to our customers and what we've learned along the way is that the reason that people haven't talked about ingredients in feminine care is because the topic has so much stigma. And you know, over the last few years, what we've heard from women is that at every moment in their reproductive life, there's more stigma. So when you get your first period, when you start having sex for the first time, when you decide to question your fertility, when you get pregnant, postpartum, menopause, like there's all these moments in a woman's life uh, that nobody's talking about. That's a universal experience. So we intend to actually build a lifelong brand for women's bodies and be there for her with products and content at every life stage. And sex was the area that made the most sense next, given our community. That's awesome. So let's go back. What kind of team did you need to build in order to start executing on Lola? And how did that progress? And then, and what does Lola look like now? Very early, it was just my co-founder, Jordana, and me. We divided the business in half and each ran hard at our piece of the business to start. And over the years, it's evolved a lot. How, how, did, you, how did you divide it up to begin with? So the, the early framework was internal, external. So she owned and continues to own most of our operations, finance, and production. 
Um, and I have since the beginning owned most of marketing, customer, and web products. Mm -hmm. And we've built the team accordingly. So those are kind of the six key pillars of the business. We have leadership in all of them, and we like to keep it as lean as possible. So we've we've added to the team as you know needs have evolved, and we like to keep it scrappy and lean. And everyone is kind of their own strategist and their own analyst because. We're a startup and we want to make sure that this is a really exciting place to work. So everybody on the team is empowered with a lot of ownership. Mm -hmm. When you decide to launch a new product, how much upfront investment does it need in order to make that happen? The real upfront investment is the insights work and the learning and listening and figuring out what women's needs are and what their expectations are and how we can go above and beyond and then crafting an offering to meet that in every life stage that we enter we'll be thinking about what are the core products that women need that we can be ingredients transparent and effective in what are some ways we can innovate what are some ways we can marry product and content and how can we provide a full end-to-end -end content experience so that a woman feels like her experience is universal, that she's heard, that she has everything she needs to make an informed decision. What is your judge for whether a product that you launch is successful or not? There are a lot of ways we'll be able to judge that, but the key way is hearing from our community that we have made a difference in their lives, either by giving them a product that solves a major need that they knew they had or didn't know they had, or by providing a forum for an open conversation that enabled them to make more informed decisions. So how do people get their hands on products now? Is it only on your website? So there are two ways. Um, our business is almost entirely direct to consumer on our website. And you can go to mylola.com and get, you know, one, two, three boxes of products delivered every four or eight weeks. And it's very flexible, like you can skip, adjust anytime. The whole thing is very customer friendly. And then we also have an enterprise program where we're selling directly into business bathrooms. So for example, if you go to Equinox in the locker room, you'll find Lola tampons in all 90 locations across the US. And we're trying to build up that business because it's been a really great way uh, to drive awareness and get product in women's hands. Yeah, that's a really good idea. So if you wanna share exact numbers, feel free, but like, what is the size, like how many products are you selling or what is the size of the business you have now and where do you wanna go? Today we have 11 products. Most are in menstrual care and three are in sexual health. The core of the business is periods and what we're focused on this year is really growing the sexual health business and making sure that our current community knows that we have these new products and also attracting new women to the community with the products. And over time, we'll continue to add new products thoughtfully. You know, you're never going to come to Lola and feel like you're on Amazon. We want to have a really targeted experience for every life stage. So we'll add, you know, a handful of products every year in a format that makes sense for her needs. Mm -hmm. Direct to consumer, is that an intentional choice or do you see putting your products in other retail channels? Direct-to-consumer is a very intentional choice because we believe that driving one-to-one -one conversation on this topic is the way to break stigma 
And that one in four of our customers reaches out to us. That's an incredible statistic that not a lot of businesses could say. And those customer interactions inform the products we develop, the way they're branded, the way they're sold. And so for now, we we feel that we have a lot of uh, valuable insights coming from our customers and community. And we also have really interesting data. So for example, we allow women to customize the contents of a box of tampons, which isn't standard status quo in the market is you go to the store, you buy a box of regulars or a box of supers or a pre-mixed assortment, but you can't get down to the SKU level that you want. And so we actually know what women want. After three years in business, we know how often they customize a box and what specifically they want. And that is very valuable for us as we continue to grow. So we're direct to consumer and that is a very valuable piece of our model. However, you know, looking ahead over the next five years, we'll certainly be offline too. We think it's important that this brand was conceived online and we're extracting as many insights as we can to be able to serve her as best we can. But eventually we want to be wherever she is and allow her to get the products whenever she needs them. So what has been the biggest surprise to you as you've gotten started and grown? Um, I've had a lot of surprises. (laughs) Uh, Business building is fun. The, you know, one of the biggest surprises was how easy it is to break through the stigma in periods in a one-on-one conversation. For the most part, women have been conditioned not to talk about this topic in public or in groups, but all women are comfortable with this topic when you just sit down with them. So that has been a really interesting dynamic here where overall the industry has so much stigma, but for the most part, women are fine interacting on the topic. They've just never been asked the question, you know, what's your first period story? Have you ever wondered what's in a tampon? And when we ask the questions, they're open to talking about it. So Mm -hmm. that has been really great learning. On the product development side or the, you know, operation side, which I, I know is Georgiana's area, but have there been surprises? I think that as we build a business, I think we're always surprised at how hard it is to know what's in the future and build for that. The, you know, with a fast growth business, you can't just put into place solutions in any area of the business that are going to last six months or 12 months. You, we're going through a, you know, a, a 12 month stage in two weeks. Sometimes we're moving really quickly. So you have to have a lot of foresight. And I think that's especially important in operations and products. Um, where, you know, on the product side right now, we're planning five years out and operations. We're also planning several years out to make sure we're built for scale. Has fundraising been easy or hard for you? Fundraising has been interesting. Um, interesting. That wasn't one of the options that I gave. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's hard and it's fun. Uh-huh. We've raised capital three times so far, a friends and family round, a seed round, and a series A. And, you know, each time there have been different challenges and opportunities. So in the, you know, the first time we raised capital in 2014, 2015, we had never raised money before. Neither Jordana nor I had ever run a business that required us to raise financing. And so there was a very steep learning curve with regard to how to pitch a business. You know, what, what are the core metrics that people want to hear about? How do we create a list of angels that want to invest in a business like ours? And how do we close the round? And I think 
you know, the core challenge at that point was pitching the vision. We didn't have a product or a brand. We just had an idea of what we wanted to build and had to describe it. And we ended up raising $1.2 million very successfully from about 20 investors with just our idea. And the next two rounds, our seed in Series A, we had data to show. We had already launched the business and had a community and customers and a brand and a product. And from that point on, it was both about the vision of what we planned to build in the one, three, five, ten year time frame, but also what we had done to date. And, you know, the business spoke for itself in some ways. Oh, that's great. Are, are many of your investors women or men? They're mostly men. How has that been? It's been good. I think our investor community is representative of the investor community overall, which mm -hmm. is mostly men. And our business has a lot of really interesting dynamics that, you know, we've seen play out in a great way in other businesses. So despite the fact that a lot of our investors don't, in fact, have periods, they understand how a business with a subscription model for a need to have product with repeat revenue and you know, strong margins can do very well. So we were, we were able to kind of paint that analogy, even though we weren't pitching a product that our investor was going to use. Did you worry about that at first? We had fun with it. We took a lot of our first meetings in restaurants and we would order a glass of water. And the first thing we'd do is throw a tampon in a glass of water to show how it absorbed and what a tampon looked like because you'd be surprised at how many men have never actually seen a tampon. So it was a fun kind of way to break the ice and educate and we had a great time with it. And, you know, we also do have a handful of female investors. Carly Kloss was involved in our friends and family round. We also have BBG Ventures built by girls led by Susan Line and, you know, some other uh, women along the way. So you sort of alluded to this, which is, you know, you hadn't started a business before that required investment, but what were you and Jordana doing before? So Jordana conceived of the idea for Lola at business school. She was halfway through her second year at Columbia Business School, and she had actually come from the nonprofit world before school and was inspired by, you know, the growing startup community and direct-to-consumer models she was seeing all around her in New York City at the time. And I was a few years out of business school, had spent a lot of years in consulting and investing, and was at an ad tech startup called Flurry, and was starting to think about what next. And, you know, we connected and she asked me if I had ever thought about what was in a tampon. And the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> Were you looking for a company to start? Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you feel as you were making that decision? It was really exciting and new and scary. You know, it hadn't really occurred to me that I would start a business at that point in my career. I was on a much more traditional path and was compelled by the idea and you know the fact that i had never really thought about what was in a product i used every month for decades and felt like i could you know take all of the skills that i had from all of the previous work i had done and really power this thing so it, it was very empowering but it was definitely scary and the idea of you know transitioning to building something out of nothing and 
you know, the likelihood of failure and, you know, how are we going to pay ourselves and all of those things obviously weighed on me. This might be a weird question, but bear with me. (laughs) What would you think if at some point, you know, Tampax said, you know what, you're right, or this is impacting our sales, we need to do something and they make their tampons organic and publish their ingredients? We would think we did it. (laughs) This industry has a really big problem. The FDA doesn't require brands to list comprehensive ingredients. The scientific community hasn't done long-term clinical studies that show it's okay to put synthetic fibers in your body for a week, a month, for 40 years. And we, therefore, as consumers, are building a brand for ourselves where we're listing on the box what ingredients are there and um, trying to change the industry from the private sector. And if we, as Lola, can change the way the big brands operate, we would celebrate a lot. Yeah. And I think that by having a product portfolio, you do protect yourself from that risk, right? That any one of your products might not be successful in whatever way it happens. Sure. I mean, I think having a portfolio definitely reduces risk But the reason that we're doing it is because it's wild that there isn't a brand that gives women products they need for their reproductive health. You know, at every life stage, women have to recreate the wheel and find a new brand and find content. And it's crazy how fast you can progress through all of these stages. I mean, Mm -hmm. like since we founded the business, I've gone from being like single to married to Mm -hmm. pregnant to having a baby now to not being pregnant, like, you know, women's lives change a lot. And I've needed a source of content and products along the way at every life stage. And, you know, thank God Lola's here for me. We're all our own customers. And, you know, that's really what we're trying to do. So outside of the products that you create, it seems like you have certain values as a company. Definitely. We want the values of the brand to be a part of the company culture. And, you know, the core thesis of our company is that driving open conversation will help reduce stigma and make women more informed consumers and better decision makers. And we think that same thing is true, you know, within our own company. And so we're all very candid and direct and transparent, um, open with one another because we think that drives the best decisions and the best collaboration. So transparency is a really big piece of what we're building. We also are a very supportive community, and that's both you know, within the broader Lola community and also within the company culture, but you know, we're trying to build something that's not easy to build, and we all lean in and help each other as best we can along the way to make sure that we're all successful together. Are there other things where as you've created a company for yourself, you have said, I want to do this differently or I want to do this this way because it's important to me or to us? I think every step along the way, we we try not to recreate the wheel too much. Like if somebody on the team has worked at another company where something was a great practice, we'll adapt it and we'll see if it works. But everything we introduce, we introduce with care and we think about what makes sense for this particular company and culture. So along the way, what was the biggest mistake that you feel like you made? Um, I think I must make mistakes every day. You know, (laughs) 
I remember one time we made a mistake on our packaging. We reviewed it and didn't notice something and then sent it to print and got a huge shipment of Lola boxes that were missing something important that we couldn't use. Oh, man. So that was a mistake in the early days uh, that we have not made again. Mm -hmm. Knock on wood. And what's like a really huge win that you've celebrated along the way? Launching pads and liners a year into the business was an enormous win. We weren't getting women all the products they needed for their periods. And we had customers who use tampons and pads and they were ordering tampons from Lola, but still had to run to the store every month to get their pads. And we saw a lot of customer happiness when we finally launched pads and liners. I think we changed their behavior finally. And that was great. One other win that I think was a really big deal for us was introducing a first period kit, which is tampons, pads, and liners with an ebook co-written by a doctor um, and a carrying case and, you know, a really special experience and conversation starter for parents with, you know, girls between seven and 15, whenever they're getting their periods to really open up the conversation and let them know what products are available and answer questions that they might have at that stage. So you've been focused on external building the audience and the brand and and what advice maybe or, or, or tactics do you have for people who are thinking about, you know, bringing a new brand or new product and brand to market? Advice that I received that I think has been a really helpful thing to consider along the way is decide what your superpowers are and overinvest in them and everything else. Make sure it's good, but it's not what what you obsess over. So, you know, if you're bringing a physical product to market, you have to obsess over the product itself and you have to obsess over the brand experience. But maybe you could invest less in other areas to make sure that you can kind of bring the best experience to bear in the areas that matter most to your consumer. Mm -hmm. The other thing is make sure you find really smart people around you. You can't do everything on your own. And every single time we add someone to the team who can take a piece of the business and, you know, own it end to end and run with it and be an entrepreneur in their own right. Jordana and I are amazed and almost can't believe how well things are going and how relieved we are that an expert has taken over a a piece of the business. Have you tried any channels to reach new customers that haven't worked as well as you thought that they were going to? I think that our marketing approach has been very diverse. Word of mouth and press are really how we brought the brand to market initially. And both of those things were amazing. You know, At the beginning of the business, we launched with a referral program that was one to five, where if you referred five friends, you would get a free box of Lola products. And that was an experiment that didn't really work for us because women don't necessarily talk about their periods with more than one or two people. So the one to five model didn't work. Mm -hmm. And so we had to kind of rethink what a referral program should look like in this case. And it really is a more one-to-one connection. So that was learning for us and a channel that we had to evolve over time. So I, I was wondering what your biggest need or challenge as a company is right now. Our biggest need and challenge is growing awareness for the fact that for the most part, women don't know what's in products they're using across mm-hmm. their reproductive lives and seeing the future and building for it. 
Well, you have a great, I was going to say product, but really a series of products. And I think it's amazing how far you've come in. I was going to say three years, but it's uh, when did you actually start? When in 2014? So we launched the business in July of 2015. So we're coming up on our three-year anniversary, but have been working on it a year longer than that. And I wish you all the best. And thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I appreciate it. Thank you. Really appreciate it. If people want to get in touch with you or find out more, uh, how can they do that? Yeah, they can get in touch at mylola.com. Wonderful. If you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you did, do me a favor and tell a friend about it. It really helps. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at cpytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. See you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, and Raleigh, let's build something great together.